Welcome everyone to our Sport Dog Scent Detection Podcast, hosted by Mountain Dogs and Release Canine. I'm Jill Kay from Mountain Dogs, and our co-host is Alex Woodruff from Release Canine. Together, Alex and I will share our insights and coaching tidbits for optimizing your nose work and scent work training and competition trial success. We aim to be inclusive and informative. Any dog, any handler, anywhere, sniffing with your dog. Our goal is to open up your training world of possibilities with in-depth and some lighthearted conversation about the many and multiple training variables that shape our much-loved dog sport of nose work and scent work. Thanks so much for listening. Feel free to email us with your training questions or comments or offer your topics for an upcoming episode. So hi, everybody. Welcome to our Canine Scent Fix podcast. I'm here, uh, Jill Kovacevic, with Alex Woodruff from Release Canine with a fun topic today, arousal and the engaged search dog. So we really want to talk about um, trying to figure out kind of what is dog arousal. I'm just going to run through these really quick so folks can get an idea of where we're going with it. Um, What's optimum arousal for learning, training? And then, of course, we're in a performance sport. So for doing performance sports, um, namely scent work. And how do we identify the low, medium or high? What can we do to increase? What can we do to decrease? And how do we train optimum and an engaged or focused search? And I think we'll just start with that because that's a big list. And uh, I'm going to jump right over to uh, Alex and she and I are going to talk a little bit about uh, what do we think is the definition of arousal? And granted, I guess initially what we're talking about is in canines, uh, but it is pretty specific to any animal. Um, so what do you think, Alex? For sure. Um, so I go at it as a scientist. So, um, so anyway, if we look at it online, uh, one term that makes sense to me is upregulated physiological response to cues in the environment. So if you kind of break that down, it's, it's the response of the body to the environment. So it's not like they're thinking of how to respond to it. It's just how it happens which is realistic for how arousal arousal happens when we think about arousal is it's just the dog. It's how the dog is reacting to that space, not necessarily how um, they think they should react to the space. It's, it's something that's innate. It's something that's happening. Um, Another one that popped up a definition that I kind of liked, and it was from a podcast from Hannah Brannigan's podcast. And it was last May about arousal and it's level of alertness that an animal displays. I kind of like that because it's, it's describing what we see is the alertness. It's their response to whatever's in their environment. And it's very visual in some ways, whether it's up or down. Because I do think you can have high arousal and you can have high arousal that's very noisy or physical or movement-based, but then you can also have arousal that is more stocky. And I think that's getting talked about more often. Um, you'll see it in border collies and agility a lot where they stock down mm-hmm. a dog walk ramp. Um, and that's not because they're low arousal. That's because they're very high arousal, which is realistically when you're breeding for dogs, for stock work, it's kind of nice because it means that they're highly intent on what's happening and they're going to respond to what's happening when the cue happens, but they get stocky in the way versus like, if you're going to breed hunting dogs, you don't really want them sticky anywhere. (laughs) You want them moving, working, coming back. 
And so then you get a very different kind of expression of arousal. And I think that's why we can see some differences out there. I'm sure terriers, to me, what I see when you have more of those kind of ground type dogs, they're going to get much more nose on the ground. I see it with cockers a lot when they're really high arousal, they can't even think. I do see them get a little bit more stuff on nose on the ground and almost distracted because they can't cope with the arousal that's happening in their system. So what I'm hearing you say is it could be very dog specific to that mm -hmm. dog uh, based on um, it's certainly a neurobiological response, I guess, would be one way to look at it. It starts out being just very um, innate right? The natural biological response. And we have it as well as human beings uh, to stimuli in our environment, right? Um, totally. So, um, you know, when we're looking at that in terms of arousal, why do we care, I guess, or concerned or why do we focus on it? Why do we talk about it? What does that word arousal mean in terms of dog sports? Well, I think it, the biggest part of it is, is there a ability to eat food, right? Um, if your dog can't eat food because they're too high, or are they too high because of a toy? And then you're restricting how you reward your dog and you're adjusting how you're playing with your dog because something makes them too high. Like I've heard that before. I can't use hot dogs because it makes my dog too high. Well, that's arousal, right? And maybe we need to learn how to work with it. But I think you also get like focus issues. You get... Um, behavior and precision that's not quite there. So when my dog's super high and he's coming in to get rewarded on a toy, his precision might not be quite as good as when he's a little bit lower arousal, more of an optimum level, then it might be a little bit easier. So I do think that it really matters when we're trying to train things, especially when we're talking about low arousal, then I think distractions become a big issue, right? And if they're really low arousal, everything can be interesting because they're not so driven for odor, our odor, they might be driven for other things that are really cool. Right. So um, in one of the um, webinars that I was reviewing, it was it was the Dr. Um, Kathy Murphy, uh, but she talks about actual um, olfaction arousal. So, and that gets very specific to our, um, to our scent dogs, right? And that we can actually have um, the olfaction system um, sending um, odor information that spurs arousal all by itself, aside from um, maybe the excitement of the toy or the excitement of the reward and all those things. But at the very front end of our of our search of our scent detection, right, um, as our dogs are taking in information, and one of the things I thought was really interesting um, was the talk about um, the right nostril versus the left nostril. And the right nostril is gaining information that's known and responds accordingly. And then the left is de dealing with all those variables that are unknown. So I thought that was just, and I'm just throwing that out there as a very odd fact, but it goes back to this whole idea of olfaction arousal. And really that that's kind of the start of what, when we're training our dogs and working towards optimum performance, meaning Somewhere on that scale is negative performance, not performing at all. Somewhere on that scale is really high excitement, unable to perform. So across that continuum and somewhere in the middle is when we get that optimum arousal. And we're talking about olfaction arousal in response to 
Berchanis or clove or other odors that are used in scent detection sport dogs and how our dogs uh, might uh, be trained to find optimum arousal for learning, training, and performance. So um, anything you want to talk about there, Alex, in, in regards sure. to that concept? Yeah, I, I looked up the Yerkes Dodson law again, because I've had it in my notes mm -hmm. before I've taught it for a long time, because it's something we all kind of know, especially as yeah. trainers. Yeah. Um, as you get new to it, then you get kind of taught it again. But what's something I just ran across is that they were able to show in the original studies that simple tasks, you can have high performance, even with high arousal. But it was when the task got more complex mm. that the performance like plummets when you've got high arousal. So I thought that was kind of interesting because we can, and this kind of goes along how some of the detection dogs are trained. So more of the professional world is they make them pretty high, like as high as you possibly can get in order to do simple tasks. And I think that's really helping so that the dogs have the high drive for the source and they understand the game and high drive and all of those kinds of things. But I think it's something that we might not recognize in nose work quite so much because what if we do really easy stuff and we think our dog is fine and then all of a sudden we do something more complex and the dog really can't think through what's going on and it's probably a result of the arousal or is it a result of the skill level and the skill level isn't there and now we've got a little bit more confusion of how do you address the problem because maybe the dog has the skill in a low arousal environment but you have now high arousal in a trial and the dog can't do the skill because it's more complex than what their arousal level can do. So that I think is a good example of why maybe some dogs can do really well in NW1 and then, or novice AKC, and then they go to the next level and they're really struggling when they should have it. And it might be a result of arousal, not necessarily that the dog doesn't know how to do something specific. Well, and that really kind of comes to that point of uh, the reward and how we can reward uh, the odor we're asking the dogs to find because if the um, concept of arousal is that they are detecting a stimuli in the environment and then from there their brain right is either detecting it as a friend or foe let's just make it that easy right it doesn't even have to be okay so if it's an odor the dog's detecting for purposes of of sexual um, reproduction that's going to go to a certain part of the brain if it's fear of prey other prey and being eaten right then that's going to go to um, a different part of the brain and how do you get the odors of birch anise or clove to become a learned response that is associated with such a wonderful reward that we get positive a positive arousal if we want to think of it that way which is an arousal that becomes um, attentive to and focused on the pursuit of source that we're asking the dog yep. to find versus, oh my God, there is, um, and I experienced this recently at Colorado camp, oh my God, there's a mountain lion that must have peed or a bobcat or a coyote or some, some other uh, animal that is, you know, prey or the predator to my dog. And it was very obvious what my dog was doing was a concern about that. So, um, you know, it's very interesting to see that you can do exactly what you're talking about, which is, hey, if we break down, if it's simple tasks that we can do under high arousal, then 
we can even make parts of our search in progression so that we learn, right? We learn how to optimize that arousal level and build on that in terms of a progressive skill set so that, um, you know, the dogs respond quite um, spontaneously, if you will, right? It's the auto system that, that kicks in. It's that muscle memory. We talk about that a lot. And sometimes you go, oh my God, what are you talking about? Well, it's the, it's the memory, olfaction memory in the dog that's going to trigger a positive arousal response, right? Not negative, I need to run for the hills, but a positive, this is going to be associated with food, fun, yada, 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 and reward. And therefore, I want to go in pursuit of this weird odor, Birchanis or clove, with my person because it's the funnest thing in the world. Um, so yeah, I think that's really interesting that you found that um, information about um, that, you know, because you hear a lot of it and it's talked about optimum and then we're constantly going, so what's optimum? Is optimum, yeah. you know, a steady, steady thing or is it constantly moving? And I think that's a pure example of where it's yeah. constantly moving, right? Because optimum for that particular point in time in that environment may take higher arousal to pursue a more challenging puzzle, right? Mm -hmm. Versus maybe when they get to things that are known, um, there's less arousal. And one of the words that I like that uh, Kathy, Dr. Kathy Murphy used was amplification. So we're all going to end up with semantics that trigger in our head. Now, if you remember, Alex said alertness, right? And so, so her her I, um, concept in her head that she liked was an alertness in the animal or in the dog. And I liked amplification because to me, that was turning up that speaker, <laughs> you know, and I'm going to get to a certain point where it's so loud, I can't think. So that it really hit for me to go, okay, now I get it. Why when I'm overloading um, what I'm asking my dog to do, um, you know, without that chain of learning, right? Um, to create that optimum response, um, I'm I'm really overloading that entire sensory. And of course, this also comes from doing a lot of reading um, about border collies, and they have they do often get um, kind of uh, compared to autistic children because the uh, sensory overload becomes every sense they have. So you can put them into sensory overload by sight, sound, feel, tactical, all at once, right? Um, and that's kind of why uh, some yeah. people who may not um, be as familiar with border collies kind of go, why did your dog just jump when he sniffed that sage? And I'm like, well, he did recover right away, but part of why he jumped was because um, he had to have been detecting something that was like a predator, right? Or put him in that, that fight or flight as opposed to um, some other kind of arousal. So that makes sense. Yeah. Yeah. So how do we then identify low, medium or high arousal? I think that's a big question, isn't it? Yes. <laughs> so to me, low arousal typically means the dog is normally not as in drive, but I don't think that's always necessary. Because I do think, and I've seen these dogs before, and they're kind of cool to watch, is they have a strong drive, but without arousal. And I do think that more traditional, I don't want to say older style, but more traditional NECSW teaching, or at least how it's been adopted, 
encourages a little bit lower arousal. The thinking dog, the dog that moves through its space, not with a high amount of speed, but with more thought and working it as they go. And I do think that that's a lower arousal, but still high drive. It's not like the dog doesn't want to get there. Not that the dog can't react to odor or won't look for odor, but that when they're doing it, it's in a little bit of a different mindset versus I could tell you my dogs are high arousal. <laughs> not necessarily a high drive, although I've made it that, but I do think it's high arousal, a lot of movement, a lot of excitement, joy, um, that's normally what I get told a lot of joy in my dogs, but I think that's also arousal because of the excitement of going into there. And I do think arousal can temper over time. The age does have an effect on how that arousal can um, display within the dog. And I think you get a little bit lower arousal, more high drive potentially in the higher, um, more experienced dogs. Yeah, you know, and I did find some actual data in studies about that, mm -hmm. that the olfaction system, in fact, right? Uh, if you want to use the word deteriorates, um, I hate to use that word because I'm aging and I'm older and I'm deteriorating. Yeah. <laughs> For her to say, <laughs> just that it's right. It's just the aging process and that's what it does. So, but yeah. going back to your concept about, um, you know, what we've seen in the past with NECSW with um, that sort of concept, I think some of that comes from that whole want to engage any dog, anywhere, yeah. any handler, right? So once totally. we kind of said, uh, you know, it, it, and it was a shift, right? Because the sports that were out there were very high specific uh, to like agility, very specific to a particular type of dog. So, so to come up with a sport that was, hey, we can pretty much take anybody, any dog, and we can mold um, a wonderful, fun sport team out of them. Um, and I think that that's kind of where that that comes from. And, and certainly it can even come from people who enter nose work often have no other dog sport experience at all. Um, I absolutely is, am, and still will be one of those, although I do venture into some other sports finally now. But I have that dog that you're talking about, Izzy. Um, so he is very, I almost want to say contemplative. He's the thinking dog, very definitely. And I don't know that he, that had I trained him differently, he wouldn't be the higher excitement dog, but he did not like the stress that I, that I exhibited mm -hmm. as a handler. And I want to get into that too, because so far we're talking about dog arousal. Yeah. And yeah. on the other side of this team sport is the handler, right? So we'll get into handler arousal True. and how does that, how does that affect the whole thing? So I'm certain that my high arousal personality, um, and yeah. that meaning even how I responded to things not going well in a search, mm -hmm. um, very much shaped, um, Izzy, the search dog now. Um, but so. I have to ask you if you created Izzy in a higher arousal, type from the very beginning mm -hmm. do you think because he's a little bit reactive does that change his ability to snap because I do think that arousal is very tightly like tied to reactivity yes. so if you, you are training a very reactive or mediocre reactive dog with a lot of arousal 
I think that switch can be pretty tight and you're balancing like on a beam to try to figure out like, are we arousal for the search? But then one trigger happens and they pop off and now you've got a reactive dog moment. So trying to find that balance and then maybe for those dogs, which is kind of at the original purpose is that, hey, let's do this for anybody. Let's make sure that a reactive dog can play the sport successfully without the handler always stressing about this. Like they're going to pop off and be totally reactive to somebody or something. You, you hit the nail on the head. Absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. And the interesting part though, is I think too, and we don't need to go into the tangent of what's reactive, right? But I think that's such a fine um, part there because I have Zeke who I think he hits that same little snap point where it just becomes the world is so exciting. I can't stand it. Oh my God. So he's not reactive in the word the bark, that bark, we're lunch, lunch. to say to other dogs. He becomes reactive to the level of excitement he's achieving. And the wave is just going up and up and just like, you know, you can just see it. He becomes this, I just want to go in the search and run around because outrun is my favorite thing to do in life. And so then he's hitting that snap point, right? Like you're talking about where he just runs into the high arousal because the stimulus of the environment is so much more exciting than the hunt for birch, anise, or clove. Totally. I think that's very interesting, right? So if we were going to just talk really quick about handler, right? Mm -hmm. Uh, Handler arousal. So how does that come into play? I mean, obviously we're still animals human beings are animals um and we are responding um uh, to the stimulus that's in the environment and in large part to our dog right Mm -hmm. and whether yeah whether we feel like our dog is doing what we want them to do or not doing what we want them to do and that sort of thing so um how does that play into the to the sport of nose work well i think because we're more complex we think about things more So I don't think we have as an easy opportunity to say positive, negative, because I do think that we go into flight, fright, freeze, fawn, whatever methods, right? But I do think like when you're watching your dog and you're stuck, not moving, that's arousal (laughs) because you're now you're stuck in the freeze moment and you're like, what are they doing? What way are we going? And that's arousal building, building, building. And then they finally do something stable and you snap. Oh, alert. Oh, crap. (laughs) <laughs> yeah and typically a judge will go no I'm sorry and you're like yeah I know I mm-hmm. totally know that <laughs> right and the reason you would be reciting that for us is yeah. a recent event oh I had that one this yeah. weekend right yeah it happens yeah yeah so I do think that that's something for sure that we get into is like that sudden that would I I would think is a fight response the alert alert Mm-hmm. But then you also have the freeze response where you just don't do anything or fawn. Well, the interesting piece about that, right? We've always wanted to bring the podcast back around to growth mindset, right? So dang, when we're talking about how, what can I do as a handler to yeah. better prepare myself? If we can think about train ourselves, I do think that some of that is just the whole flexibility part and the fluidity part, right? You got to kind of, be willing to accept the whole continuum from, oh my God, I just called an alert. And the picture I have on my phone is a nine second, if even that, maybe it's four second blurred alert of Digger in a 
one of his very first trials, you know, where he's just in yeah. coming out of the search, somebody took a picture of him and the angst on his face is very evident. Like what, yeah. what was that all about? What just happened? Yeah. We just weren't even there. What are you doing? So, yeah. so I do think that that that'll be a really interesting thing to kind of talk about, especially when we get into some ideas about training and how do we train optimum arousal, both for the dog and the handler? And maybe how does our leash work and some of the structural pieces help us stay in the moment with yeah. the dog, right? Totally. And not go to the, you know, to the moon and back um, yeah. and that sort of thing. But I, I do think that it's a highly, uh, we're highly vulnerable as human beings mm -hmm. in this sport, right? Because yeah. the humility is huge. We cannot and will not ever be able to share yeah. this skill of olfaction yeah. with our dogs to the extent that they have, um, you know, specialized yeah. uh, systems to, to do this, right? I mean, maybe totally. I could do it with brownies, cooked brownies. Yeah. Oh my gosh. You're I not could... going to think that way though. Your eyes are no. still going to go up. Yes, yeah. exactly. I'm yeah. not trained, right? So. Yeah. Anyway, yeah, for sure. Okay. Well, I think cool. that's really interesting. So um, if we're looking at how do we, so, so what are some of the things that we can think of and talk about for increasing arousal? Uh, we're going to focus back on our dog. So how, what, what can we do in training? And then, and then we'll talk about in a trial, right? When things start for to sure. go for sure. bulky, either low or high, what can we yep. do there? But let's talk first about in training and what now, can we do, do we in training? Do we want to do a break so that you can start your podcast again we can so this is a good little well, segue <laughs> and the segue would really it's a great hook right so folks should you want to know we more go. we've kind <laughs> of you know talked a lot about arousal and what it is and and some of the pros and cons of arousal in your search detection team mm -hmm. and what we can do and now we're going to take a break and come back and talk with you about what specifics we can do for training both for the dog and for the handler um, with regard to arousal. Thanks for listening everyone to part one of our arousal and the engaged dog podcast. Stay tuned for part two, also available on our canine scent fix podcast webpage, where we dive into training tips to achieve optimum arousal and performance with your scent detection sport dog.